Welcome to Dial It In, a podcast where we talk with interesting people about the process improvements and tricks they use to grow their businesses. I'm Dave Meyer, president of BusyWeb, and every week, Trig Olson and I are bringing you interviews on how the best in their fields are dialing it in for their organizations. So this is our uh, next episode, but depending on how we release this, we've been doing this for a while, Dave, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel like we're finally, if you'll excuse the term, dialing it in. Ooh, I like it. I've uh, figured some interesting things out. Do you want to? You want to try something out? Regale me. Okay. Yes. Uh, do you have a good dad joke? Oh my goodness! I don't know if I can do them on command anymore. My kids are old enough that they're not asking. All right, for all right. I got one. So, yeah. do you know the difference between a hippo and a zippo? I do, I do, but I'll let you say it. One's a big fat animal, and the other's a little lighter. Yep. Yep. Oh, look at that. Sound effects. Oh, stars. I found the sound effect button. So I think we've just uh, completely ruined our chance of uh, keeping our audience now that we can do dad jokes and have a a rim shot at the same time. There goes the podcast Emmy. Yeah, shoot. Well, in the meantime, uh, it's uh, the beginning of the year. It's time for renewal. Pitchers and catchers are reporting to camp. And sooner or later, we will be unburied from all the snow. So it's a good time to start thinking about what to do next. Mm. So one of the things that I think is really interesting that we do at BusyWeb is we offer marketing game plans and strategies and help people lay out what are they going to do and how are they going to do it and what's it really going to take to accomplish their goals. And one of the things that you and I struggle with all the time is sometimes people don't want to do that. And so that's the purpose of our podcast today, episode today, is we found an expert on strategic thinking. Our guest has uh, been trained in blue chip companies like Pepsi, ConAgra, Nordic Track, and Miracle Air for the last 15 years. He's worked with private and emerging businesses. And he's worked in a broad range of different industries, but ultimately small to mid-sized software and and SaaS businesses. And uh, yeah, just an all-around great guy who's going to help us really sort of define the case for what is the real value of strategic thinking. It's your friend and mine. He has the mustache of my dreams, Greg Pomerantz. Greg, good to see you. Hey guys, nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about you, first of all, because we want to establish your bona fide credentials. I did a little bit of an intro, but tell us a little bit more about Pomerantz and Associates. So my background, I mean, you did a nice job. I mean, I spent six years in sales before I went and got an MBA. So I did that. And then I did work for the big boys for a long time. And I enjoyed it to a point when I was at Miracle Air, eventually we sold the company and I was part of the sale. And Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the wrong guys bought it. And, you know, they hire a new president. Next thing you know, he wants his own team. That's the way it works in corporate America. So off I went. And as I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, my friends started calling me and say, hey, can you help me? And it was all about strategy and how do you go to market? And this was, you know, 2005 or something like that. Mm-hmm. The world was changing back then because digital marketing was, was actually becoming a thing in a hurry. Yep. But that doesn't mean you didn't need strategy. You didn't have to know who your customer, consumer, or client, or partners were. And so it just changed on some of the things that you were doing. 
And so for the last 15 plus years, as you said, Trinvi, I've been working primarily with family-owned businesses, privately held companies. I do a lot of new product introductions and a lot of go-to-market strategy. And for a long time, and over the last few years, I finally fought myself because I didn't want to be that fractional CMO. Mm-hmm. I don't like the title CMO. But what I found is in small companies, you could do a great marketing plan for someone and they simply couldn't execute it. They didn't have the people to do it. And so now I also spend a significant portion of my time as that fractional CMO where I can help do the strategy and then help execute the strategy. So I want to start uh, like any good sales guy with an objection that I had trouble handling. I once... Uh, my guy, we had a really good conversation. He really did need a, a marketing strategy, which we were prepared to execute for them. And he said, no. And I said, what do you mean? No. And he said, I'm not going to pay you to learn my business. And I was sort of dumbfounded by that because it really didn't have anything to do with me having paying me to learn his business. It was paying him to get him out of the hole he was in. Right. So if you are in that situation, what's the difference between paying somebody to learn your business and helping them move forward? You know, what I have found is many people, similar to the person you're talking about, they simply think marketing is common sense. I know what I've always done. It's mm-hmm. worked. It's you know, allowed me to get to this point. And why do I need somebody to help me? And my answer is almost always the same thing. It's a simple question. Are your sales growing? No. How are your margins doing? Well, they're not as good as they used to be. So why do you think you want to keep doing the same thing that got you here when your sales are flat and your margins are getting constrained? And that will often get them to think. I, it, it occurred to me that maybe companies don't really know where to start. And by thinking too tactically too soon, they put aside a whole massive opportunity to really think about the right things. So tell us a couple of the questions that you do to kind of elicit what people need to be thinking about from the 30,000 foot perspective. That's a great question, Dave. And it starts with who are your customers? Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether they're clients or customers, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. But who are they and have they changed? And then do you know how they want to buy? You know, we all know that the sale of anything has changed because there's so much information on the internet. You go out and research everything. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you're buying a car or you're doing work for a B2B business and you need to find a part. You're doing all that research. Mm -hmm. And so for your business, you really want to understand who your customer is, how they buy, how do they want to buy, where do they get their information? Mm -hmm. And then you can start to figure out how do I influence all of that? Right. And and that's mostly like for, I mean, the shining example of lots of research is business to business, right? Because you're, you're probably making a decision on a several hundred thousand dollar arrangement or at least bigger than going to Amazon and grabbing that new pair of socks that you were looking for. So, so do you walk them through that exercise to say, okay, well, let's, let's think about, give me your past five clients 
and how did they find you? Is, is that kind of what they do? You know, I kind of start, yes and no. I mean, I start mm-hmm. with, tell me about your business today. Where are you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will always preface that conversation by saying, you know, you'll probably quickly realize I'm not from Minnesota <laughs> because I'm going to ask really hard questions and wait for the answer. And, you know, they will laugh kind of like you did, Dave. Right. And then when we do it, they'll look at me. It's like, oh, my gosh, you were right. You aren't from here. It's like, yeah, I know. I grew up on both coasts. Mm-hmm. But it's really about asking those hard questions that people don't like to address, to think about, to answer. Mm-hmm. Then you can start figuring things out. So, you know, if you're going to do a marketing plan, that is always the first step. Right. And, you know, Trigley, that goes back to your question. You know, business owners don't want to pay you to learn about their business. But if you don't understand what they're doing, how do you ask the right questions? Right. And it's and I, all about getting them to talk. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that sort of deal, you, you sort of immediately get into somebody who's, who's really scared of change. And they think that somebody's going to come in and, and give their own version of uh, a nine patented nine point plan. And then if you don't subscribe to it, you're, you're an idiot, but that's not really the case. No, it, it's not because when you're not invested hundred plus percent in the business, you think about it different, the business differently. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't even know how many businesses I've worked with in different industries and different distribution systems and different types of customers, but that amalgamation of all that stuff, I've been exposed to so many different things. And you guys have with the clients that you've worked with too, mm-hmm. where you can use something that you did five years ago all of a sudden becomes relevant today. And the business owner has never thought in those terms because they've never had to. Mm-hmm. What is really the value of having a full strategic plan done? Is it just simply a roadmap or is it tactics or is it a combination of both? Oh, it's definitely a combination. And so if you're going to do a strategic marketing plan, you start with that situation analysis that I gave you, that I mentioned a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, what are my objectives? And literally three, four, and they've got to be numeric. You've got to be able to measure them. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. Now, that numeric objective could be I need a new website by a specific date. Yep. But that's numeric. And even if they do, right, I I think this is going to be really fun because this is a conversation that that we have all the time with our clients. I'm sure. um, I need a website. Um, let, let's even role play that out. Right. So I'm Dave, you're Greg, and I'm, I'm calling you and saying, yeah, I, I need a website, Greg. I don't know where to start. So, so what do I do? You know, I just, do I, do I just find the best SEO company or what, you know, what the heck is SEO or whatever? What, where do I start? You know, who's, who's your customer? Mm-hmm. What do you want them to see? What do they need to know? What data do, you, do they how do you want to lead them through the process of wanting to buy from you? Ah, so I, that's, it's that's all about what's in it for them. Yeah. So what's in it for my, my customer. Right? Correct. And Correct. so in, in backing out of our, of our little role play here for a second, that's one of the things that I'm constantly trying to remind my customers about is like, I'm looking at your website right now and it says you've been in business for 23 years and you do this and you do that. And I do this and it doesn't say a word about who your customers are. And, and there's probably one half-baked testimonial at the back of the site. 
Right. And that's just, um, Mike Smith says, right. um, you're the best people ever. It's not even Mike right. Smith. It's Mike S. Right. Right. From, <laughs> from, from Chicago. Right. And, and I, I think that is where most people get so messed up, especially in marketing, because it's super easy to focus on tactics because it's there in front of you. You're looking at a website or you just Google for lead generation strategies and it says, well, you should do SEO or you should do Google ads. And so you get caught up in tacticitis. Well, and, you get, right. And you also never build a brand. Okay. So oh my. yeah. And that's the next thing that we definitely need to talk about because brand is one of those things that's the least understood in business. I think, and probably one of the more important things that you need to have under control. Right. And there's a, I went to business school at Northwestern and there's a professor uh, named Tim Calkins there who wasn't there when I was there. I've met him twice, but he worked for 25 years in corporate America before he went back and became a professor. So I have a lot of respect for what he has to say because he's been there. He's been in the same shoes that I was in at one point in time. And Tim defines a brand as how do your goods and services meet the want, needs, and desires of your customer? Mm. That's what a brand is. And how do you build that? Mm -hmm. And it's every touch point. And so, you know, in the background, Dave, you've got a screen and you've got HubSpot and Google, and that is constantly reinforcing the busy web brand. And I love that. Okay, I was on a call this morning and there were two guys and they had a nice background for their Zoom meeting. And the pop-ups as far as how they were branding their firm mm-hmm. was different for each one of them. Interesting. Marginally different, little. Mm-hmm. But mm. That's not going to build a brand because I'm not sure which is right. Right. So it's every touch point is when you, you build a brand by not just advertising, mm-hmm. but how the phone is answered. Right. You know, how your emails, does everybody have the same signature and things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, your emails, I mean, are your marketing emails that go out, how consistent are they in the positioning and, you know, the look, tone and feel? I mean, so all that gets encapsulated and incorporated rather into the brand. What's the most important tactic that a company can focus on? Do a strategy. Why? Because without a strategy, tactics are just going to lead you down to what you've already done before. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody comes and, you know, someone comes to, to one of the three of us and says, I really need to do SEO. It's Why? like, okay, well, I don't do SEO. So I will say, great, call BusyWeb. <laughs> and you guys are going to say, okay, but what's the strategy? Right. And all they want is leads. Right. But, you know, so... Story about leads. I mean, 30 years ago, I was working for Nordic Track. And this is, you know, back in the old days of Pony Express and home phone lines and things like that. But we would send out these little postcards and it would cost us a nickel a lead. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the cost per inquire, cost per lead, it was a nickel. When you looked at the cost per order, it was $600, hmm. which doesn't work when you're selling a $300 piece of equipment. Yeah. And the same thing is true. What we did the 30 years ago, the same type of quality leads that you can generate electronically today, it's the same strategy. Mm-hmm. And you still have to make sure that you're going to get a payoff for it. Right. And I don't think a lot of business owners think about that. 
And that's part of the fun of talking about strategy is that you start getting into the ramifications of any decision that you make, and that helps you decide which way to go. Right. right? So if, if you were you know, doing the Nordic track mailing and you're like, okay, well, yep, it's just going to be five cents a lead. That's what most marketing companies would stop at. Right. Especially if you're looking tactically like, well, we have a guaranteed SEO program. And if you just sign up for $55 a month, our people in Pakistan are going to help you with all of that or whatever, you know? And so is that actually going to help you having those five cent leads? It's going to take 3000 of them to actually turn into one customer. And you might just be flooding the market and or flipping your cost per click on advertising upside down by loading it up with junk. For so, sure. And, you know, and you might be better paying more for those leads. Yeah. Get a better qualified lead. Mm-hmm. So instead of paying a nickel, spend a dollar or more, whatever right. it is. But now at least you're getting someone that might be closer to buying from you right. than right. just throwing an email address in there. Right. Or in the right people. And I, I ran into this this morning with a prospect. I was talking to him and we were looking at what their, comp- their competition was doing for advertising. They were spending a fair amount, but it was all on their own brand keywords. And they had a very unique name. So why on earth would you pay Google to display your own website when if people were already looking for that name, they'd find your website for free? Right. So that comes back to our magic word, strategy. Are you doing things that actually mean something to your customer? Well, there's that and you know, take that, I'm going to take a slight tangent here, but you know, you have all these leads and you get them, but sometimes there's other ways that you can leverage that type of information. So three or four or five years ago, I had a client that had people actually making physical sales calls in, I think, seven states. Mm -hmm. And so they were doing a lot of work online, but I went in and I said, okay, how many within the ASI, uh, NAISC codes I just looked at a data review. And in those states, there are about 6,000 possible prospects. And they were selling to universities and hospitals and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there may be 6,000 prospects. They were selling to about 500 of them. Feet on the street. And so sometimes just doing the digital marketing isn't always the only thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, we were able to put together a program to use private label products that had nice gross margin, and they were able to provide those salespeople with a really good opening sales pitch to go into these these prospects, you know, Uh something they never would have thought of doing. So I think we also also have to be really careful about how much energy we've put solely into the digital space. Yep. Versus just using analysis and thought to come up with other ways that you might be able to go to market to drive revenue quicker. Which I think begs the question, what's the value of a lead? And there's two answers to that. If it's a good lead, there's a tremendous amount of value to it. If it's a bad lead, there's a tremendous amount of harm associated with that. So it's not lead generation for the sake of creating rote numbers of people to call, you know, back in back in the dark ages of the internet time in my life that Dave and I like to refer to as college, 
there was a company that literally, it was the weirdest thing. Literally, your your phone number would be printed in a book, and then they would give the book to everybody. Yeah. That's not helpful anymore. Right. Un- unless you need to prop up your TV or something. Yeah. But, and I forget, what, I forget what it was called. It was, or, or you got a kid that isn't sitting high enough at the table. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just getting lists isn't, isn't helpful if they're not prepared to buy mm-hmm. and if they're not ready to buy. I heard an interesting statistic earlier in this, this, this year is in any particular industry, only 2% of your target markets are in a position to buy right now. Right. So what marketing wow. does is handles is perhaps the other 98 to become the two. Right. And that's not, you're absolutely right, Greg. It's not just digital. Uh, this, this just occurred to me and I, I promise I'll keep it G rated, but I think maybe what we're talking about and, and a good analogy for this might be, it's kind of like dating, right? So if you approach dating by just saying, I'm going to get a list of every member of the opposite sex in my town and I'm just going to start calling them. Well, let's be progressive. Anybody that, that you're interested in. Not even that, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm going to an SEO company and I'm I'm gonna get or I'm I'm gonna buy a list of of every viable candidate. There you go. Viable candidate. I like there, that. See? Um but what we're kind of talking about in this branding thing is maybe figuring out what your most viable candidates are actually looking for and maybe spending some time and brushing your hair and uh presenting the right brand and perhaps learning good conversation techniques. So that you can get a date and well, find and meet somebody. You know, I totally agree. So think about, I said Nordic Track 30 years ago. I mean, back then mm. we were doing flashy brochures or, you know, promotional offers, things like that. And it would work. Mm-hmm. Today, it's about talking to your prospect in a way that develops a relationship where they want to buy from you. Instead of just giving them a promotion to try to convince them to buy from you. And it's interesting how even that market has changed. 30 years ago, you were selling exercise equipment. But if you ask Peloton what their business model is, they'll tell you they're a content company. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's get back to the, the, the topic at hand, which is a strategic thinking. So if we're going to hire you, Greg, to do strategic thinking, you're not just going to look at marketing tactics. You start, the, the important thing is revenue, right? Well, it's revenue and margin. You know, I mean, ultimately it's like, what is it that you want to sell and why? And if you go out and spend all this money trying to drive revenue for this product or this category, whatever, however, however the business wants to describe it, is that the best use of their money? Because sometimes they may have a different product that they can market and or go to market in a different way where they can make money. I mean, I had a client, I had a client once where it was an engineering company and they wanted to market a product and sell it direct. And I kind of put the example together to say, you know, you'd be better licensing this thing because the cost of shipping is too expensive. Mm, mm-hmm. They're shipping steel. Yep. And, you know, I mean, I worked at Pepsi. Shipping water is really expensive. That's why there are bottling plants all over the country. Right. 
Okay. And so they would they were better off, in my opinion, to license their technology to other for other metal manufacturers around the country that could do the product. Hmm. So it, it's a little bit, it's it's never an either or. Mm-hmm. It's about what are, you know, the, the cost of goods matters. The shipping matters. Um, yeah. so that all has to be incorporated into what your decisions are because part of that marketing plan, if you will, is financials and you got to address all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Trick me, I'm sorry if I just went down a rabbit hole there. but No, no, no not at all. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's, the, the, that's really helpful. So ultimately what you're really trying to determine in the first part of the process is what's a revenue goal, but also what's a profit goal. Right. And what, and what do you want to do? You know, where are you going with your business? I mean, if your business is, you know, we're going to be keeping this thing for the next 15 years, that's one thing. But it's like, you know, my kids don't want to be in this. Again, I work with family-owned businesses. My kids don't want the business. I need to figure out how to sell the next five years. Then let's talk about how you do that. And I'm not doing exit planning in any way, shape, or form. But, you know, how do you make sure that you're getting your EBITDA? Because that's all based on EBITDA, right? So how do you get your EBITDA up in a way? So I know what EBITDA is, but for the sake of our... Dave, could you... Could you roll that out a little? What is, what is EBITDA? Are you asking me, Trigby, to no, prove I, that I might know? No, I, no, I, 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 I'm try. It, it's an important business term that I think is is uh, right. it, people don't always know. And so it's, what? And it's what, scary coming from a marketing guy that he might know what that is. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> what? What? What is EBITDA for our listeners? It's earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and what's the last A? Amortization. Amortization. Amortization, Right. Yeah. Yeah. So think about it as margin. Right. So you you, you sell a business based on the margins that you make. Mm -hmm. And there's a multiple off of that. So the more that you can take care of that, get that margin up, and marketing can be part of that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not just an expense, but can help you improve your margins done correctly. Right. And don't even get me started on people that ex- that expect or that look at marketing as an expense, because that's exactly like saying I need to run a marathon. What I need to do is stop eating. <laughs> yeah. So, Greg, so we, we've got our profit margin and overall revenue goals set. What's the next thing you look at? The distribution system. OK. You, you know, so why do you go man- there? I'm sorry? Why do you go there second? So if you're a manufacturing company, let's say, in most cases, you're going to have a distributor out there or you're going to have, you know, somebody else is going to be selling the product for you, independent reps, whatever the case may be. And you need to know how, how to motivate those sale, the salespeople at that repping agency or that distributor so they're selling your product. You know, you get into distributor. And so I've done a couple of beers in my career uh, as a consultant. And that has to go through a distribution network. So there are beer distributors, right? Well, there are some beer distributors that will literally just take a beer, put it on the shelf in their inventory. But they know it's a competitor what some of their other beers are. So they don't really want to sell your product. They're killing it from the market. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And so understanding 
how your dis- distribution network thinks and how do you motivate them to want to sell your product? Sure, because that's that's the way you're going to have people pull along instead of just pushing, right? So, you know, not only are you pushing it out to the world and doing your thing, but you're also finding partners to engage and to help you level up and get even more customers in. Right. So I had another client where my role was to talk to the salespeople and then basically write project recaps of big company of work that they had done. And so they were working on water treatment centers mm-hmm. uh, and facilities in the, around the world. And so I was interviewing multiple people involved in the project and then writing a recap that then became, I'll call it a sales sheet, but it's something that's on, the, uh, on their website that says, here's how our products were used. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about salespeople and distributor salespeople to make that happen. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that's second on the list is distribution. What's third? Because we haven't even gotten to marketing yet. Which I think is fascinating that when we, you're hiring a strategist, we, we have yet to get to marketing. So I'm, I'm, incur- I'm, I'm intrigued to see what's next. Well, it's all part of marketing because how do you go to, it's, it's how do you go to market? And you need to understand what the distribution system is. So I, I understand how you go to market. You know, mm-hmm. pricing is also part of it, but that's also an inherent piece of the product mix and the marketing mix. Say uh, more about this because I think this is really critical. Yeah. You know, so again, let me just use that same story of two-step distribution process. How many? Let me stop. Let me ask a question. How many times have you gone on to a site and you're looking at it's like you can't get a price because you have to get the price from the distributor? Yeah, I don't. Okay, happens all the time in in the B two B world, and sometimes in the B two C world. And so, with pricing, it's understanding the competitive set which we haven't talked about. And that's also part of what you need to do here. But understanding where you fit into it and understanding if the price that you're selling to the distributor, which then ends up to the customer, that the margin structure is correct. So if you're selling beer, the distributor is going to want to make 25 to 35 points. The retailer is going to want to make 50 points, 30 to 50 points, depending. Mm-hmm. So you got to be able to structure all of that in a way that as you go to market, as you develop your strategies, mm-hmm. all that gets incorporated into it. Does that answer the question, Trigby? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess what what I what I, I think is so fascinating is that marketing permeates so much more than just a couple of people talking about a website or looking at colors and fonts, and it's. <laughs> You know, and back then it used to be, you know, television advertising. I mean, for years I've asked the question after the Super Bowl to a prospect, what's your favorite ad? And they can tell you exactly what the favorite ad was on the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then just ask them, well, who paid for that? Who was the sponsor of that ad? And 45 to 75% of the time, they will have no idea who the advertiser was. And that's what I call a $10 million mistake. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and that type of mistake happens not just on the Super Bowl, but in all type of different marketing programs. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I think, again, kind of tying back to our strategic theme, if you don't think enough about who you're trying to reach and how you're going to get there, 
it makes it really easy to just kind of fumble around in the woods and waste money, waste time, waste effort and miss out on sales. Well, right. And it's the right sales because you want to get the sales that you don't have to discount all the time to get them. Mm -hmm. You want to get good customers. You want to have customers become advocates for you. You know, so that all gets together and it's all, tricky to your point, it's all part of marketing. Marketing is not just, you know, how do I do SEO or what kind of direct mail should I do? Or, you know, what kind of sales sheet do I have to give a sales guy? Mm -hmm. I've been thinking recently that really good companies have the same sort of customer experience model as a restaurant. So if you go to a restaurant, you're going to talk to a host, you're going to talk to a server, you're going to talk to a bartender, there might be a table busser, but all of those people are trying to give you a really great experience in one way or another. And the goal is the customer experience. And all right, those I mean, people are, yeah. are, are working, some of them are in you know, sales, some of them are in execution, and some of them are, are in delivery, but ultimately everybody's trying to make sure that you have a good time. So to build on that, if you go to Trader Joe's and you're tra checking out at Trader Joe's and they see that you've got something where it's like, oh, it's a bad cucumber in the package, mm -hmm. they ring a bell and they send someone to get you another one before you check out. They don't even ask you to go get it. I mean, that's all part of the brand and the customer experience at TJ's. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. So... I hire you. I've done this this strategic uh, thing. What do I get? Do I is it? Do you just sort of pontificate? But you or do you do you give me a real document? You get a real written document. Okay. What all goes into it? So starts with that situation analysis. We agree on your key issue on, on your objectives, numerical objectives. Then we identify what issues, key issues you have to overcome to achieve those objectives. That's the hardest part of a marketing plan. From there, you do strategies, tactics, financials. You've got to make sure that you can afford everything. And then you have a feedback mechanism loop back up to the top. Okay. So that you can see what's working. The only thing I can tell you, anytime you do a marketing plan, I know with 100% certainty it's wrong. Because yep. life gets in the way. Things right. change. You can't get a product. A salesperson quits, whatever. But at least this way, if you've got those feedback loops, you can revisit it on a regular basis to make sure that you're doing the right things or, you know, things change and you have to make, you have to cancel a program or something. But right. it's a way to track progress. I think if you don't have a marketing plan that allows you to do that, you're wasting your time. What's the biggest disappointment you've ever had in your career when you've found somebody who's gotten a great opportunity to take a great leap forward and then, then they just didn't? Oh. Wow. I helped start a business maybe four years ago, which was preventative mobile dentistry into senior living communities. Hmm. All right. So so say, say that again, because that was a lot of words. So preventative dentistry yep. mm -hmm. that would go on a mobile basis, send a dentist and a hygienist into a senior living community. Think assisted living, nursery, you know, nursing okay. homes, things gotcha. like that. Medicare does not cover dentistry. Mm -hmm. And 
you really need good teeth because as you age, your teeth get bad. Mm -hmm. It's just unfortunately a fact of life. And if your teeth are bad, you don't eat well, you don't smile, you don't socialize as much, and it can start this little spiral downward. And all of this is known and been published. I, when I work with startups, I will often do both the sales and marketing function. Because again, mm -hmm. remember I said I started as a sales guy. Right. And so I was out initially, I put together the strategy you know, with the founders. And they went out and found some senior living communities that we could, that agreed to let us come in and validate that this concept would work. Now, once you're in, you have to sell not only the resident, but quite often the resident's children who are going to have to pay for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And you have to sell the staff and all those facilities are understaffed, every single one of them. This was such a cool concept. And I use my personal contacts of people I know that own some of these facilities, communities, and we were making really good progress. And once I started doing that, then I met some people who are involved. Leading Age Minnesota is one of them, but some people that were really tied in deeply to the senior community. And so I eventually pulled myself out and had them get involved because they could open more doors than I could. And the, to me, it's always about what's right for the client, not me. And unfortunately, the whole thing fell apart. Uh, was it an operational issue or was it a marketing thing or did they not think about the customers or, or what, uh, what was the... I think they were not willing to invest in the marketing to the uh, children who are paying for some yeah. of this. Mm -hmm. I think they didn't want to invest enough money. Mm -hmm to really try to validate it in a few spots because, you know, there were a couple of dentists here and there that were doing things on a one-off basis. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we were able to get in some pretty good-sized organizations. And if we had validated it there, we could have been off to the races. Sure. So I opened the doors and I, I was totally, and, and it wasn't the people that I, that came in that I turned over to. It was the founders and how they did it. Sure. Well, and uh, that that part of what probably happened and and correct me if I'm if my assumption is wrong, but they probably got caught up in, you know, trying to attack too many fronts as possible or more more fronts than they should have. So they they tried something for a week and they're like, "Oh crap, I can't do that." And so they pivoted and then they didn't give it enough time to actually invest properly in getting real results. Yeah, I think they got the, the founder mm -hmm. got some really talented people involved who are both dentists and business people, financial people, but didn't want to spend the money sure. that needed to be spent, nor was he willing to bring in additional partners and lower his ownership, mm -hmm. which, you know, is not uncommon. Right. Which That's I would make the is. argument that, that it, especially when you're in a startup mode, Sales and marketing is as important as your infrastructure. Yeah. And you do have to invest in them. Well, you do. And you also have to learn from what you're doing because some things work and some things don't work as well as you want. And so you want to tweak it. So, you know, you're constantly a startup, you're constantly evolving and how you're going to go to market. 
Got it. Uh, one thing that we've mentioned a whole bunch that we haven't talked much about the ramifications of it are sales. So as we're looking at strategy and driving revenue for a business, what does your strategic plan do to help empower sales teams or, or how does that work to like, is that where the rubber hits the road or you just throw it over the, over the top of the fence and say, here, here guys, good luck. Here's, here's your call sheet. Or what do you do with those guys? Marketing is irrelevant if it doesn't sell anything. I mean, it, it's, it's about nothing happens until something is sold. People have said, right. right. And so everything in marketing, in my opinion, everything that I do is all about driving revenue. You know, and driving revenue, revenue in an affordable way for the organization. And so they are not separate. They are in, intrinsically tied sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody that looks at it differently has spent too much time working in large market, marketing organizations in the package goods world. <laughs> Been too siloed and was like, oh, yeah, it's all sales fault that we didn't hit our, our revenue goal. All the marketing, there. all the salespeople are saying, oh, it's the marketing. The leads are bad. And they start right, quote, right. quoting Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's all about sales. Period. Well, I'm just surprised that the dentist people found the way to keep the chair steady with the car in motion. Say it again? Well, they, the, the, they keep the chair steady while the, because you said it was mobile dentistry. Yeah, but uh, they would come in and they'd get, a conference room or something for the day. Oh, I, you know, I thought they were loading them in the back of a car like you do with... You there there the is car an walk. organization, there is an organization that has a, an, I think like an RV that mm. they'll drive up. Oh, really? Literally got a mobile dentist. Yeah. But, you know, this was just the preventative stuff. So it was, sure, sure. if it was anything more serious, then you have to go to the dentist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the, the, the person that came in and, and told, told me that they wanted help launching their mm-hmm. online tattoo parlor. And I said, oh, okay, great. Where are you going to do the tattooing? And the girl looked at me like I had three heads and said, well, when you get a tattoo, you can have it anywhere on your body. And I said, well, yeah, but where are you going to actually do the work? And she looked at me and she went, "Uh, anywhere on the body. (laughs) But where is the work going to be completed? Wherever the cut is, she looked, she you old man, you don't understand. You wear tattoos. So, um, all right. So that was the that was the the worst. What's the best success story from having after creating a strategy? You know, I had a a client in the Internet of Things space, and it's being able to open up new industry segments mm-hmm. uh, was just thrilling. And so at one point, I went to, uh, God, what was it called? Farm, Farm Fest. And they literally take a field in southern Minnesota and they cut down whatever was growing there. And it's a, um, a trade show for, in, the, in the agricultural industry. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sitting there in, in my little four-door car and I'm driving in and I can feel whatever was cut down hitting the bottom of my car as I'm driving through. It's hitting the oil pan or whatever. And I get out of the car and one of these guys is getting out of pickup and he looks at me and goes, 
you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm a city boy. But what was cool is I was able to help them figure out how to open up new industries. So if you think about it, mm -hmm. I went to a turkey farm and we were going to be able to measure how much feed was in a turkey bin. And the way they measured at the time was they literally would knock on the side of the turkey bin. And they were listening to when it got up, the sound changes. That's where, okay, so we need X amount of feed. And what we put together to put a monitor inside the bin, and what I initially didn't understand is the corporation wanted to keep their guys off of ladders. Ah, uh -huh. It was a safety thing. Yep. But we were able to figure out how to monitor this, monitor this so that they could make sure that the turkeys are always having feed and the right feed at the same at the right time during whatever the 13 weeks or 20 weeks are that the birds are growing. Mm -hmm. But being able to, to help a, an organization open up, understand how different segments worked, that's always fun for me. It's, it's, it gets the investigative mind going. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into real business for somebody else, which I just love. Well, Greg, thank you for all your expertise today. If somebody is, wants to hire you or wants to learn a little bit more about what uh, they can do for you, you can do for them. Excuse me. What, where can they find you? So I've got a website. It's pomerantz-assoc. Uh, and you can get a rough idea of what we do. Yeah, I know. You like the ASS. I, I know that, Trigby. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pomerantz with a Z. Pomerantz with a Z. Yep. Or you can give me a call. I'm in one of those books that you were talking about earlier. Oh, oh I'll, the one I'll that everybody's in. My, yeah. Yeah. I'll grab it off of uh, my kid's chair. and uh, I will uh, time travel back to 1998 and get that. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have to throw them out anymore, so that's a good thing. Right. You know, yeah, it's just, it, it's sad how much I have to explain to people who are under 30. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks Thank for your you, time to me, Greg. And I uh, can't, can't wait to dig in on another strategy with another client so that Absolutely. we're working on together. Yeah, I'd love to, love to work with you guys. Thank you so much for including me. And, you know, let's hope next year is a good year for all of us. Absolutely. 